the dynasty trust, the opportunity is to eliminate the successive hits of taxation at each generation. The considerations. <coughs> Most states are moving towards abolishing the rule against perpetuities, something that's come over from English common law has probably caused more heartache and malpractice cases. Most people, if they have the opportunity, will select a state where there is no state income tax. You will pay federal taxes. We're not saying you can avoid them. But the opportunity not to have to pay a state income tax does offer you a little bit of flexibility if you do want to accumulate funds. Now, there's an example in real property trust and probate. I did not put it in here. But it talked about how many states can tax a trust. States tax some of them whether or not the beneficiary created the trust um, or the decedent created the trust. Some tax, like California, if you have a resident California trustee or beneficiary, they don't care if it's created in New Jersey. <coughs> if I leave money for a California beneficiary in trust, they're going to tax it, subject to income tax. So the variation was created. There was one in prop real property trust and probate where they wound up with six states taxing the same trust with one trustee and I think two beneficiaries and one decedent. So you're looking to, for the savings there. <coughs> now the other thing, <coughs> excuse me, which is particularly important is that grantor trust status and non-grantor traditional status. A grantor trust is a trust where everything passes through and it's taxed to the individual. Grantor trusts were created back when our rates were skewed. We are at 50% on earned income and 70% on dividend income. And the trust rates were lower. So everybody was pouring money into trust. Their reaction was to put in provisions where if you could either get the money back or retain certain strings, the government was going to tax that income to you. Look at where we are today where the trust rates are higher. It's often more advantageous to have the income flow out and be taxed to somebody. The other ruling which is important here is that if a parent <coughs> is making a gift to a child, puts the assets in trust, and yet retains grantor trust status. The parent can still pay the income tax because of the revenue ruling. He's still required to pay the income tax. It's his liability, but that's not an additional gift. So in a year, perhaps, of it, maybe a shrinking credit or, losing, or a cap on the 13,000, we're, what, 13.1 or some, some odd number. This gives you an opportunity to make additional gifts down to that next generation. The ability to toggle between grantor trust status and non-grantor trust status is something that should be built into a dynasty trust. Flexibility, we're going to have unknown circumstances. Just the flip in the rates that I told you about with grantor, grantor, non-grantor trust is one. Uh, you can offer, uh, create general powers or limited powers of appointment and give people the ability to shape things. Now, trustee, a beneficiary as a trustee cannot have unlimited discretion to make distributions. So your options are the ascertainable standard. So this means the family member could still be the trustee, but he is, he's limited somewhat. You can have a co-trustee who's not a beneficiary, a trusted family member, uncle, aunt, somebody. They can have discretion. You can also have <clears throat> an independent corporate trustee. But you should have the ability in your instrument itself to invoke these procedures. So if you have an interested trustee, has to make a decision that could possibly cause him tax consequences, what does he do? He invokes the procedure to have a third party appointed. Third party can be appointed at the election of the beneficiaries. 
could be the grantor, when originally setting up the instrument, had a list or a committee of people to be drawn from, or it could be vote of the current income beneficiaries. You can have a mechanism by which you can get this accomplished to add those powers without causing somebody adverse estate or income tax results. Now, my favorite is the incentive behavior, milestones, child achieving graduation before age 45 from college. Uh, I actually had one where it was 30, 35. They were delighted if the kid ever made it out by that time. Matching, salary, or, or productive efforts. They were very concerned they had one child who was going to probably go into, I think, be a minister. Obviously not a lucrative profession, but they wanted that child and his family to have the ability to put their kids through college and do things. And so they created that type of incentive. Empowerment, business loans, mortgage loans, other types of things. Give the trustee the ability to make them on commercially reasonable terms or at the lowest AFR possible. All right, now, business assets. <clears throat> a trustee typically does not want to get involved in the operation of a business. Why? He does not want to be a director. He doesn't want director liability. Yet by the same token, he can't simply walk away and turn his back. The BVI and I think the Cayman Islands have unique legislation. BVI calls, I think, the Star Trust, whereby the, the trustee is absolved of the liability and is left all to the directors. Conceptually, you can create the same thing. You should do, you know, define that. What a lot of people do now, especially if it's real estate, they may carve out and let a separate trust be created because they're only concern concerned about environmental liability. And then typically you can either have a committee of advisors or some other methodology by which the trustee does not have to get involved. If you have a corporate trustee or a bank, they get very nervous with business assets. It's very easy for them to manage risk in their portfolio. They can do that statistically and prove that they've done their job. You cannot typically do it unless you're attending board meetings or actually grinding through the numbers, so to speak. Uh, <clears throat> crummy powers. An ex a right of withdrawal. Now, we know annual exclusion gifts, crummy powers, have a rate of zero down to grandchildren. But if that gift lapses and the trust is large enough, the grandchildren themselves will not have a made a taxable gift to the trust. One of the things that you see people do in order to size these things properly is to create exempt and non-exempt sections or to offer the crummy power out of a particular part, maybe the exempt, um, uh, the non-exempt part as opposed to the exempt part. So you should have that flexibility built in. Trustee succession, you shouldn't have to go to court to name a successor. There should be a procedure for naming a successor. I tell my clients to pick three or four people, and if they can't do it, have a trust protector involved with a trust protector can pick. Trust protector is a concept that the British developed. Uh, they're not a beneficiary. They're someone who's given discretionary powers, but they cannot exercise, of, exercise them for their own benefit. Uh, typically, you'll see the powers to remove or replace a trustee, directory and vetoing and distribution if you have special assets, such as business assets, whether or not to approve a sale. You know, the, the business may have been the crown jewel family at one time. Maybe they're no longer making buggy whips or something. Maybe it's time to sell, that type of thing. But there are a number of powers that you can give them, right? Change of situs is a particularly important one. Could be for change of law, especially for income tax purposes. One, if you have low basis assets, Alaska has a community, elective community property regime. One of the requirements is that to be an Alaska trust, have an Alaska sided trustee. Low basis assets. At the first death, if you have community property, what happens to community assets? 
they get the entire step up. If they were jointly held in New Jersey, we'd only get one half of the step up because we don't have community property. So now what do you do? You get the step up, you can sell the assets without income tax while the surviving spouse is still alive. So you would want them to have the ability to make changes like that and move on to uh, uh, also sever into shares, multiple shares, multiple trust along bloodlines. Yes, Jeff? Typically, no, because you don't want the fiduciary duty, all right? That uh, Real Property Trust and Probate has an article as to whether the, this person is, in fact, a fiduciary. I think the standard would be, if you had to give me a gut reaction what the standard would be in the United States, somebody would probably say there are going to be cases coming where they're going to judge him as a fiduciary, not in this limited capacity as to his limited powers, but they're going to say he has to exercise these powers in the same way for the same purpose as a trustee would. How do you, do, how do you say he's a protector is not a trustee then, in, in essence, if he's being judged by the same benchmark? If I were a protector, I would have no interest in the business, all right? So don't have your business partner, number one. Number two, it's somebody who has independent judgment. Typically, if somebody has independent wealth and is not under financial pressure to make a decision, they can probably make a better decision and theoretically defend themselves. I also tell you, have the trustee protector indemnified from the trust, so if the beneficiaries want to sue them, they know they're going to be paying the freight up front. But rather than seek to recover, I think that discourages the attack more so than anything else. Right. And then Frank will be getting into low interest rate loans and other types of financing, but how do we fund these things? Well, obviously we can give money, use our credit, whatever that credit will be after the committee gets done. Installment sales to grant or trust using discounted assets. You know, you can still discount family limited partnerships, and the installment sale to them at a low basis loan may be one alternative. You can use a def potentially defective grant or trust, self-canceling installment notes. The GRATs are still available. Frank is still doing GRATs. And the GRATs very useful, especially where if the, if the senior generation still needs an income stream out of the asset for a period of time very useful because at least you can get something back and size the transaction accordingly. What you're looking for is to have that remainder poured over to the dynasty trust. How do we get there? Well, Grat still has the ETIP period. There are ways of either buying the remainder. We can talk about that sale of remainder interest from Grat to a dynasty trust or a potentially defective grantor trust. Uh, one of the great articles from uh, Kirkland and Ellis is the realty purchase marital. They firmly believe you create the marital deduction in a trust. Next generation buys the remainder. So there's nothing to tax at the second death. The skin <coughs> issued by a dynasty trust, and then the intentionally defective grantor trust, possibly followed by decanting or porting over the assets into the dynasty trust. And these, can t these are typically more of them are going to be grantor trusts so that the income taxes, there's only one bite at one, one stop, so to speak, typically at the moneyed level, which is typically the senior generation. But by the same token, that's the pot of money you're seeking to deplete to lessen so that the government doesn't get a bigger bite of the apples. Mm -hmm.